0: You are, you are now tuned in, in to the December, the December 26er, December 26er podcast, podcast, where we where encourage you, you to, be to be extraordinary on an ordinary, on an ordinary day. day. Hey, 26er family. Welcome to the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delicia, and this episode features Keith Barnett. Keith is a senior director of clinical operations in the immuno-oncology space and a doctor of public health candidate at Indiana University. While growing up in Newark and Irvington, New Jersey, Keith didn't exactly have a blueprint for academic and professional success, but his family always encouraged him to limit the what-ifs in his life. He showed athletic talent early, and while his skills on the baseball field created opportunities to play with kids from different neighborhoods, that experience most certainly made him race and class conscious. Keith would eventually end up attending and playing baseball for Seton Hall University. But without a proper support system to help him navigate this new territory, he opted to leave baseball behind and pursue a degree in PR and advertising. After graduation, Keith began his career as a teacher and later found his way into consulting and real estate. Then, what started as a way to earn additional income to help pay for his wedding turned into a whole new career path. Keith took an opportunity to work in pharma as a scientific office assistant, but after seeing an offer letter for a clinical trial manager position, he knew he wanted in and so began his career in clinical operations. Now, by most people's standards, Keith has had an impressive professional journey, climbing the corporate ladder and also obtaining two master's degrees along the way. But after losing out on a lucrative opportunity because he did not have a Ph.D., he decided he wanted more. And that's just part one of our conversation. So without further ado, please enjoy. Keith, welcome to the December 26th podcast. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate Thanks for being here. This one has been in the works. For a minute, we finally uh, made it happen. I'm very excited to have you on the show, particularly because your profession, your area, area of expertise are so closely related and timely to kind of where we are um, as a country. So this is going to be a great conversation. Yes. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so let's get into it. Who is Keith
1: Barnett? Keith is really just, you know, a kid from, from North New Jersey, you know, who grew up in an urban society and just found his way, just navigated his way through the ups and downs of of life, you know, trauma, passed down and things of that nature. But someone who, you know, now, you know, is a family man and I have, you know, a beautiful wife, amazing wife. I have two kids um, and, you know, kind of just... Really got to the point to where I realized like i've I've made it out of you know all of these beginning conditions that I had to overcome, and you know really now, you know who I am now is a person that's really thinking about legacy and how can I have a sustainable long lasting impact on you know our people on you know my immediate family friends, but just globally too, right? You know, the last few years, I've really just started thinking about how can I have a global impact? What can I do in my small little world to impact, you know, from a global perspective, but more so for those that are, you know, impacted due to, you know, socioeconomic issues, um, you know, racial inequalities and things like that. And, you know, just keep pushing forward what our ancestors did for for us to get us to this point, right? So, you know, I'm really trying to get it to where when I have my last dying breath, you know, my legacy lives on and it's sustainable for the next generations upon us to, you know, take it to that next step.
0: Yeah, and, you know, full disclosure, we know each other personally. Shout out yes. to Stephanie, your <laughs> wife, who I met first um, as a former colleague. But, you know, looking at the life that you've built, this beautiful wife, these beautiful two children um, and what you've been able to create both personally and professionally, people will see that and say, this is the the black American dream, right? So it's it's commendable because sometimes I think we can sort of get there and the striving is around wealth creation and generational wealth and, and almost feeling like you don't have the space to solve these larger problems. Yeah. But when you come from the kind of community that you do, I think sometimes there is this inherent desire to have a larger impact that's greater than yourself because you have an inherent understanding of what it means to not have access, right? Yep. Or what it means not to be able to pull yourself up from the muck and the mire. So with that in mind, let's talk about your origin story. Yeah. Um as a as a child of of North New Jersey.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, uh born and primarily raised in in North um to, you know, my mom and and dad, they were, you know, fairly young, well, well during that time you wouldn't say you know my dad was 21 mom was 19 or so um and you know just really they were just making their way right and my my dad was you know when I was born he was it was this transition of you know being out in the streets you know that type of environment and now he has this son right so the son comes and he has to make this decision you know I'm out here this is all I know, I didn't have a dad in my life, but now I have this son. So do I keep doing the same thing, you know, continue the traumas that I've had, or do I try to stop it? Right. So, um, you know, he decided to, you know, stop it as much as he could, but it it, it, it happened over time. So, you know, by the time I would say I was, you know, seven or eight, he was fully out of the environment of what we would consider like the the street life, but there was a remnants that I can still remember of of things, right? Um, and you know, my childhood was full of you know valuable lessons, and and I will say, my mom and dad they were very good at you know their failures, and I think a lot of parents need to do that as well. You know, we try to show our kids the, just the the positive or just do this, or you just need to do this, right. Or just don't do like me. But, you know, my parents were really good. And just when I look back at a very young age to say, look, I failed here because of this, this, and this, it impacts me this way. I hurt. I have a lot of what ifs I feel. I wish I would have did this. I don't want you to have that. So at an early age that was like instilled in, in, in me, um, and you know, it came with a lot of pressure because um, you know, you would hear from from the family, like, oh, like, and, and I'm sure you kinda got this too, because a lot of individuals that reach the point that we're in, you feel like you're considered like in your community, like you're the chosen one. You're the one that's gonna make it out and you're gonna s- save us or you're gonna bring some sort of um, you know, clarity or just acceptance or happiness to this family that has a lineage of traumas and, you know, disappointments and things like that. Right. Um, so, you know, growing up, I, I felt that at a really young age, you know, five, six years old. And um, but, you know, you just growing up and you just think this is just what what life is. Right. So as I continue to grow up, we moved to Irvington, New Jersey. So when we moved to Irvington, it was at the point to where so I'm around six or so. So there's still uh, it's still predominantly white, but now it's the white flight situation. So I, I was actually able to see that, you know, when I first moved there, you know, my majority of my neighbors are 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 white, you know. But by the time we left, is not, you know, a Caucasian person inside outside of the businesses. Right. The local businesses and things like that. So, you know, it's just I, I just look at, you know, growing up in, you know, the different. Steps in the different time points of of my life that you really don't know what's going on until you get older and you, you you get older and you start to reflect. Okay, well wow, this is probably why now I do this. Or, you know, I'm always concerned about this when I shouldn't. But it was because I grew up, you know, I grew up this way in um, you know, just seeing the the daily. Traumas of you know drug addiction and, and you know this is a, the crack epidemic and you know just seeing how that impacts a, a, you know a family and you know my mom and dad luckily you know didn't succumb to you know any sorts of drug addiction you know that that I know of I couldn't see anything but you know I have uncles you know aunts and things like that and you just see how it just deteriorate deteriorates a person. And just a community. Right. And even though you're, you're going through this, you know, as a kid, you, you you still wake up. You still, you know, believe in fairy tales. You you still have these dreams and aspirations. So you, you look at, you know, all these kids that grow up in this type of environment that still feel like there's some sort of chance to get somewhere in life although everything subconsciously tells you that you you aren't supposed to be anything in life. So it's just, it's just, it was tough, you know, growing up as I like look back, although I could say my childhood was a pretty good childhood at the same time. Right. But that's the dynamics of kind of being black in America. Yeah. (laughs) You know, where you, you know, you just like, wow, I still had a, a pretty good childhood, but it's because you don't know what you don't know. Right. But at six or seven years old, if we knew all of the inequ- inequalities that were happening, um, you, you know, you would be upset. Whereas now, you know, we're successful, but we still find ourselves being, you know, you're just angry a lot. Right. You, you know, cause you just see what's going on and things that aren't fair. So a lot of my, my childhood, you know, things that happened. And for me to get to where I am now, I realized that, a lot of things had to happen, go in my favor. There was a lot of luck that was involved because I look back, there's certain things where you just out as a kid. And if it would have just went this way, my whole life changed. Right. But these are, you know, the things that you can't quantitate, right. Cause people always want to, when they're talking about, you know, racism and things like that. Well, the numbers say this, the numbers say that, but there's so, there's so many dynamics to it that you can't quantify Right? So you know, grow, growing up in you're, you're in an environment that you, you're surrounded by so many different things that can put you on the wrong path due to, historically what has happened to us, right? You have to survive so much to get to where, where you are, right? And then what happens is you'll have, you know people that look like us start to say, "Well, I made it out." Right. I made it out. Why can't you make it out? Right. Right. And that's that whole pull yourself up by the bootstrap mentality, which I feel like as black people, we should never have because we should always understand how difficult it was for us to get there. So that pull uh, yourself by the bootstraps mentality, what it does is it it begins to negate what the real issues are, because we shouldn't have to go through all this just to be where we are. Like, can can i be mediocre and still just have a successful you know you know life like i i just we constantly feel that you know we have to be perfect and that's an emotional part and and that can get into the public health part as as well right something that you can't quantify right every day you just feel the pressure of needing to to be perfect now as a child you don't feel that but right. once you begin to become an adult, you start to see that. Now, me, I, w- I got exposed to it a bit earlier because, you know, once I got around nine, 10, um, it was like very evident that I was pretty good, like really good at baseball. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the best facilities, the best places to go were not in my neighborhood, although we played it there. So, you know, I started playing on like all-star teams that were outside of my neighborhood, sometimes surrounding neighborhoods. And, you know, I'm 10, 11 years old and I'm on a bus. I'm just like, yeah, this looks completely different (laughs) than where, you know, where I live. And then when you look at it, when you get older, you know, because you don't have any real concept of like, you know, length, like how many miles away you are from one town. But when I look at it, you know, this town over is only two miles away. And, you know, it's completely different in the conversations that, and, and, you know, my team works teammates um, in these towns, also teams were predominantly, you, you know, white.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, the conversations that they were having were 10, 11 and yeah, my dad, you know, got me, you know, stocks in, in Coca-Cola. And I'm just like, oh, okay, well, you like soda and things like that, but not understanding at 10 years old right now, they already have a economic advantage right on, on, on me already, not even... Not even understanding it, you know, and it's just like I, I think about those things, I and mean, then you just look back and you just like, so just imagine, just generations upon generations upon generations. This is where all this wealth comes, and then it affords the opportunities for others to just do whatever they want to do in life, or you know, you know, not have to feel like they need to be uh, exemplary or just excel at everything, and can just still have a comfortable great life,
0: you know? Yeah, I will never forget, like, and, you know, our story is parallel in that way of having that experience with just going a few miles over, but witnessing extreme wealth and having an understanding of disparities and what that meant, right? The same same thing, I always felt like we may not have a lot, but we live a stable life, like, a, you know, live a stable life. I have dinner on the table every night, you know, things like that, and not really understanding what it means to live a good life and what it means to live a wealthy life and access to resources. But I will never forget being in law school and talking to a really good friend of mine who didn't look like me. And she said to me, yeah, so my dad is, she was engaged at the time. My dad is really encouraging me to like get my trust and estates plan together. And I said, oh, really he is. And I said, he's probably doing that because you're getting married. So, you know, some things need to be worked out. And she said, but yeah, I said to him, you know, what do, what do I have? I don't have anything to put in a will. I Granted, he was paying for her to, to go to law school, but she was like, I don't have anything to put in a will and a trust and a states plan. And when I said that to him, he said, yes, you do. And I said to her, I said, you don't realize that there's money and there are probably assets that he, that he hasn't even told you about. Yep that are in your name, that you will be able to avail yourself. Now, why he hasn't told you to date and you're an adult, I don't know. But that's why he's saying that you need to put a plan in in place. And I remember at the time thinking, all I'm trying to figure out is how I'm going to pay these loans back when I get out of here. And this is somebody saying to me, and my dad's saying I need to trust in the states plan because I'm getting married and I have things I need to, you know, protect. And so, um, but for, you know, for a while you get used to being the person that can't relate. Right. And, and after you've been in that environment for so many years, you learn how to sort of do the nod and plaster the smile yep. on. Um, but think going back to you being a child in that environment, how did that impact you from a psychological perspective now having the visibility? And if anybody knows about this area, right, Irvington, that area, it's like you can be in Irvington. But you could also be in West Orange, right? Which looks very yeah, different for Maplewood, or Maplewood or right? <laughs> yeah. If anybody knows anything about Maplewood, those property taxes alone, yeah, not a game. Right? <laughs> so yeah. what kind of impact did that have on you as a child who has talent and talent that is taking you to different commu- communities, but uncovering the disparities between your community and those communities? Yeah. You, you start to ask questions, you
1: know, because I, I come home and I'm just like, you know, you know, uh, let's just say John, Johnny's talking about, you know, stocks that was stocks. And I remember. So if I'm 10, my dad's like 30, 31 or whatever. He's like, ah, I kind of heard about it before. I, I don't I don't I don't really know. Right. So it just stops right there, you know, because at that time we didn't have as much access to information where now we can just go on Google and things like that. But, you know, there was just a lot of questions that, that, that I had and, you know, and I look back and just things that we normalize in, in, in our community. You know, I remember, you know, being six years old and, you know, I'm at my grandmother's house and, you know, someone breaks in, right. So someone breaks in and, you know, my uncle, he's living there at the time. Um, and this is my dad's brothers, my maternal grandmother. And, you know, he's living there at the time. And I just remember, you know, know, coming out and remember that scene in boys in the hood where like Trey comes out and his dad, like shoots again. so it was literally like, like that. So Mm -hmm. I come out, my uncle goes, go back, go back into the room. And then he just lets off pop, 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 right. So mind you, I'm five, six years old and you know, this happened and then you know, obviously they they call the cops and stuff like that. And then I remember, you know, my dad coming, right? So then now my my dad, because I was just spending like with my grandmother, and my dad comes, and him and my uncle they're arguing because my you know my dad he's upset. He's like, "You shot all those times and it's close, and you didn't hit him and things like that." And they're like, "Oh, the? you know, it's just like it's so normalized to where it's not even how it's. Keith, what my my family had called me Laquan. How, how how is he doing, right? And you you know that happens, and then it's just like, all right, you know, next day, the next day I'm just playing and things like that, and it's like, but those things, when when you when you really look at it, as you get older, you you just realize it's just it's not supposed to be that way. Like things like that are not supposed to be normalized for a child right? Because then subconsciously, it just goes in your mind. And then you're able to, I, what I feel like is that when things like that happen, you begin to be able to subconsciously accept things that go wrong in your life because it's just like, oh, that's just how it's just supposed to be be for us, right? And, you know, just compartmentalizing that. it, And then on top of it, as I got older, you know, having these different questions to to my mom or dad that they couldn't answer because they just didn't know, you know, our parents, you know, their generation and the generations before them, they was just trying to make it right. Right. Like we're like the first generation that's getting the opportunity to really from an overall perspective, like be able to kind of just excel in like life and career. And it's not just about just making it. And, um, you know, it was just it was just tough, so, as I got older, you know, I get to teenage years. Now it goes from questions to now it's just like sort of like anger, mm. and so it's like now I'm just angry, I'm jealous, I'm jealous of them, you know, it's like, why do they have this and and I don't, right, and then what happens is you start you start to kind of resent your parents in a certain way because you don't understand, you know, the things that have happened prior. Right. And it's like, we kind of go through this sense of, like it's like a timeline. And I, it's, I think it's so similar for most of us to where you realize, right. You realize, whoa, it's a difference. You start to question why, and then you have some sort of resentment to your parents. Like, well, why aren't you like this? And then you get to the point to where you realize, oh, oh, as you get older, oh, it's because of this, this, this and this. Not everybody going to make it out in all of these type of conditions. Like you, you have to be very strong will, very strong. Um, And not everybody's built like that either. Right. Right. But we shouldn't have to be built to where we all need to be strong just to get a seat at the table and just to kind of be there. Right. Because that's a whole nother dynamics, too. Right. We you and I, you know, people uh, of, of like minds, we we do all of this. Right. But it's just like, okay, but we're really still like just at the seat of the table. Right. And it's like, but I had to do all of this just to get here. And and you can't quantify that. Right. You can't put numbers to it. And, you know, how do we relay that to where people who do have a certain privilege can understand that it's not a thing of just pull yourself up by your bootstraps there are things that like we shouldn't have to tie the bootstraps right <laughs> you know let's alleviate those right let's alleviate the mud and things like that that uh, that forces you to have to put boots on right so um so that's what ha- that's what happened in in my childhood it was just like a timeline of and you know i never got to a point where You know, like I resented my parents where it was like outwardly, like, you know, just acting out and things like that because I've always been a pretty good kid. But it was just really just you just there's this timeline where you're just like, wow, like, man, like what was wrong with y'all? Why couldn't you do this? And then you realize, no, (laughs) you know, you, you guys were just you know, trying to make it. And then I, what I realized as I got older and then I'm happy that I was able to, you know, relate this to my dad before he passed away. And I still relate it to my mom. It's just like, cause you know, they also have resentment. Like they, mm. feel like they failed. And you know, I'm like, you guys didn't fail. I said, what you provided to me was priceless. You know, I, I, I said this to my mom and dad one time I said, you know, you guys stopped a cycle that our family was having, right? It got to you and then you ensured that me and my brother didn't have to go through the same things, right? You you, you stopped certain um, attitudes, certain beliefs and you know certain things of, well, this is just how it's supposed to be. And I said, what, what you did was now you've built a new legacy to our family. It started with you guys, you know, because now I've taken it to this point And, you know, my children, they, you know, they have no choice, but to take it to the next point. And my brother, he's doing the same thing. And I said, that's priceless. I said, when I look back, I would do it all over again because what you guys provided to me, you know, internally, you know, just emotionally and things like that, you've built, you've built someone that can handle any type of situation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they started to realize it. And obviously, you know, they still look Oh, what ifs and things like that. But you know, that was another thing that as a child, they would always say limit the what ifs in your life, you know, um, and I would see that from from my dad, you know, just the the regret that he had. He would always say one of the worst things to have in life is, is what ifs, what if you could have did this? He said that hurts me the most, you know, so,
0: yeah. Do you feel like thinking about those teenage years When I, I think back to my own experience now as an adult, in hindsight, I did a lot of assimilating and in, in the sense of trying to understand their world their music their culture their way of speaking without opening them up or exposing them to my experience um and you know this is a lighthearted example but i remember like playing basketball in junior high at this prep school and my aunt said to me oh i'm going to come you know to your game now my mom has quite a few siblings and the young, my two youngest aunts are only 9 and 10 years older than me so they were like kind of older sisters as opposed to just aunts. And I was like, cool, you know, see you there. Most of the time my family is working, so people can't come to my sporting events, you know, at three o'clock in yeah. the afternoon. I'm like, my aunt's coming today, this is great. So she just happens to show up when, like, I'm on the sidelines, I'm talking to my coach and I see my aunt Roland, her boyfriend at the time and her boyfriend's homeboy. <laughs> and they're in full fatigue, like head to toe fatigues in Timberlands. Right. So my, the assistant coach says, of course they know that they're, they're my, my family, my friends, because there's no other black people right there. And so she said, Oh, I didn't know you had military in your family. And and I sort of did that like awkward nod internally. (laughs) I was mortified. Right. Like, why did they come dressed like this? Now. Me now as an adult and the way I operate now would have been like, they're not military. That's just style. Right. That's just how you dress. But at the time, all I could think was like, why are you making me stick out any further than I already do by bringing our culture here into this very right white world? Mm -hmm. Did you feel the need to suppress at all in that way or sort of hide those parts of you that are Irvington and, and, and Newark?
1: Yeah. You know, when I I look back, I I think because I was, I was at that, you know, like angry stage, I I just, I kind of rebelled. I I think it was some sort of rebellion. So I really didn't suppress it. But what happened was, I think, you know, in my teenage years when I'm playing, you know, in other areas and stuff like that, it was like the other way. So like, I'm, just extra because it's two ways right you' right. kind of subside or oh, now it's just it's just extra like you just gonna get all this now you you know and um so i don't think i su- I, I don't remember ever suppressing it and you you know I, I will say that I've always you know luckily kind of been at a point where i i for the most part right didn't really care how they felt about me because you, you know, you're like, I'm, I'm angry anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm, I already feel like I could just beat you. I could beat all y'all up because I'm just upset, angry about, about seeing how different everything is and, and things like that. And, you know, when my parents will come, um, yeah, I, I, I never had those, but I have friends that, you know, definitely had to deal with that. But then when I look at like, you know, going to college, then it, it it, it kind of changed a little bit right because now you know i'm i'm getting some sort of like scholarship and mm-hmm. some sort of money and things like that so you do feel like you kind of got to assimilate a lo- like a little bit so i i i would say you know once i got to college and then you know in, in the early parts of my career i kind of was like you, you know like that as well um you know just not being so open to, you know, the type of music that I like and, and things like that to where now I'm just like so un- unapologetic and things, you, you know. But I wish at an earlier age, you know, I would have been more apologetic when I was in college uh, as well. You, you know, like it's specifically when I was playing because, you know, there would be like conversations and stuff like that. And, you know, I would speak out and stuff Um Or if they said something kind of crazy, you know, obviously, because, you know, we always deal with that. Right. So they would say certain things, you know, um, and, you know, I would question them and, you know, there would be issues and things like that. Um, But that is a real thing for us. Right. Like Mm -hmm. you kind of get in, in, in embarrassed for for certain things. But me, because I kind of grew up, you know, predominantly black areas, it was it was more like I just my parents needed to be fly or they would embarrass me in front of my friends. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, you know, that is a, it, it really is a real thing. Um, but as a, as a child, I didn't deal with it as, you know, as much, but then now that I think about it, you know, like if you're bringing lunch and stuff like that, y- yeah, you know, mom, you got to make sure I have a sub when I go play here, you, you, you so, yes, yeah. I, now that I think about it, yeah, I, w- when you look at it that way, you know, I always made sure that, you know, I had like a lunch from a store or something mm-hmm. like that, you know, no bag lunch and things like that. So, yeah, yeah. So I would say it was just in a different form,
0: you know. Yeah, but I will say I did have eighth grade, I had my my Hornet starter jacket that I did wear because I was I just had a like, Hornet starter
1: jacket too. <laughs>
0: you know, it was like uh, mom wasn't paying for one set of clothes for that environment and one set of clothes for, for, for home. So it was like, okay, I'd rather wear the starter jacket with these folks who wear LLB and everything else yeah. than wear the LLB with my friends on the other side of town who are going to definitely clown me. Um, yeah. So yeah, I had the hat to the back and the starter jacket in my eighth grade uh, field trip <laughs> photo, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> So you mentioned college. Now, you you talk about your parents really wanting to make sure that you had a different experience and telling you to limit the what what is. So I know as an uh, an athlete, you're going to be scouted. But were your parents also hammering like college, college, college? Like, was that just never in question? You knew that that's that's the path that you were on?
1: No, it was really just you know they were just elated that i graduated high school mm. you know when i graduated like that was the win for them you, you know it's just like you graduate high school you won and then when i you know when i started having you know college coaches calling and things like that then it's just like um wow you you're probably going to like who my i'm going to have a son that's going to college now um so um cuz they really didn't know what what to do and you know like FAFSA's and clearing clearinghouse and all these type of things, um, but um yeah so that the college part all came from from me and and honestly I never really even thought about it until I started getting interest. Or you you know, to play basketball or, you know, um, or baseball, you you know, that's the only reason I'm like, okay, well, I guess I am, you you know, going to, going to go to college. And because at that point, you know, obviously I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to make it to professionals and stuff. You, you know, the, 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 the same song, you know, that a lot of us have because subconsciously that's what's out there. You're either going to be a servant or you're going to entertain. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what you kind of think, you know, I never, Really thought that I was gonna, you know, kind of be something else. You know, it was more like, oh, well, then I'll just get a job. I don't know what, you know, if I don't make it, I'll just get a job somewhere. So, luckily, you know, going to college, it exposed me to, you know, different people, different subjects and things like that, that I got interested, you know, interested in.
0: So, what wanting the professional athlete path, I presume you wanted that even in college as well. When did it crystallize for you that, like, Okay, I need to start thinking about an alternative. Yeah,
1: so like my my sophomore year, um, you know, because being a student athlete is tough, right? Mm -hmm. You you pretty much you have no time to yourself. you You know, just like high level, you're waking up at five. and you have to have 5:30 run, and it's just this is baseball, you know. You you have a 5:30 run, and you know, and my friends, if they listen to this, they'll remember because sometimes you know I'll call them out, you know, they they they're coming from a late party, and it's four or five in the morning. They walking back to campus, and they'll see us running and stuff like that. So that's a running joke with some of my you know frat brothers and things like that. But um, you know, you wake up at five, you know, 5:30, you're running, and you're training to you know like seven. So you you, you get the shower, then you go eat at eight o'clock, then you got classes and you got classes to 12. And then 12, you try to run and quickly get lunch. And then you'll practice from one to four or five. Then you got to go to night class. Then after that, you got study hall. And then, you know, if you want to put in any extra, and this is every, you know, every day, and Mm -hmm. then you got to do the same thing over and over. Um, so it's real, it's really tough. And it's a, it's a, it's a real grind and it's an emotional grind. And especially in a sport that isn't predominantly black, right? Because I'm alone. Right. I don't have someone on the team that, you know, could necessarily relate to to me. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So anything that I was going through, a lot of it was just compartmentalized. And I'm just it's just me. You know, I'm talking to myself and, you know, my dad, he doesn't understand. Right. Um, You know, he has his high school high school degree, but he was in the streets for the majority of his life. You you know, so it's just like, yo, you just got to make it work. You better than that. You you know, it's just like you, you. you you're, you're better to just make it work, you, you know. Because then also, you know, in our community, it's like, wow, if you could make it, you really could set everyone up, right? Mm-hmm. So then that's it's that pressure. And so, and if you're not, if you don't have like all world talent, like a, you know, like a LeBron James or Alex Rodriguez, King Griffey Jr., like people like that, um, you know, there's a constant grind that you you have to have, and you have to put so much work in, and it's mentally taxing. And you still have to have a lot of luck that it's just, it's tough. So it just got to the point to, you know, and I started having injuries and, you know, just physically and, you know, you, you're recruited. They tell you this one thing, you're this great kid. You're going to come change the game. And then now there, you know, you, you get there and then you have to realize, you know, damn, I was really good, you know, in the state of New Jersey. And now you get there and you got somebody that's from California that was really good. And, right. Right. Massachusetts, that was really good. So now you have to deal with that. you're like, okay, now everybody's good here. And then the next year, you know you're a sophomore, but you got other freshmen coming in. you, you know, so you don't de- you're dealing with that as well, and just you, you, you know my my boys, I'm able to talk to them like how I feel and stuff, but you know, they could sympathize, but they can't empathize with mm-hmm. me they don't understand exactly what I'm going to. So myself sophomore yeah, just one day I just woke up and I just said, I'm pretty much I'm just done. Like, just don't want to do it. Like, I really just lost the love, you know. And, you know, I went to my coach and I was just like, "Ah, I'm just going to try to walk on the basketball team and things like that. And um, he's just like, you're making a big mistake. And, you you know, and when I look look back, I wish I would have had the support to push, you know, push me through that point. That was the point where, you know, I needed a mentor um, so bad. Mm -hmm. But there wasn't anyone that I could identify or anyone, my coaches, that they're not thinking about that because they're not wired to think about that. We have this kid that's literally because I went to Seat Hall. We have this kid literally two miles down, you know, from down here. uh, Maybe we should have someone. Can we identify someone for this kid to be able to talk to that's older that, you know, he could relate. But I did, not you know, I didn't have that to where you know, a lot of my teammates, they, they had each other, they could understand each other and it, and they didn't alienate me or anything like that, but it's just certain things that you need to be able to speak to people that understand exactly what you're, you're, you're feeling. And when I try to explain that, you know, a perfect example is like, if a woman tells a man, you know, what it feels like to have a menstrual cycle, right? Like you could tell me for a hundred years, like what, what what it is. And, and I'll, under, like, I'll understand it, but I'll never be able to really understand internally how that feels. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's always that disconnect. And um, there was a disconnect in an important part of, of my life that I wish I had. Now, whether or not I would have still continued, who knows, but still it could have been a point where I was just so down. And like, I would say, you know, just depressed because um, I didn't know myself anymore. You know, because I was always, you know, one of the best and um, and I was still good at that point. but you know, just the feedback that I was getting, I wasn't used, I wasn't used to it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I didn't know how I didn't know how to take it. and you know, I just started going through things, you know, like and and I could say I, I probably when I look back at it now, I probably was depressed, mm-hmm. you, you know. Um, and then that could, you know, start to trigger, you know, like having injuries and stuff like that, because, you know, you have a lot of stress and, you know, you're 19 and you're still trying to make your way. And, you know, you still got this set of people who they can't make the decisions to help you, still telling you that you're still this great person, like, yo, you're going to make it and stuff. But then you have the people that. Are responsible for the decisions and stuff like that, and they're like, "Yeah, you're good, but you're not performing the way that we want you to perform. Or when you do perform, you know, and you do great. It's just like, all right, well, do it again t- tomorrow. And then you start to see the the differences because it's like I am the only one. Cause you, so you now you always stand out. Right? So there's that pressure again. Like I have to be perfect. Right? Where I I felt like some of my other teammates didn't have to feel feel that way. Right. So, um, so then I, I left, I, I left and then now I'm like, okay, this is over. So I need to start figuring it out. So, I, you know, I, I, I always felt like I was a very personal person. I like to, like, I like to, you know, be in large crowds, talk and stuff like that. So I got into communications and then I got my bachelor's degree in uh, PR and communications or well, PR and advertising. Um, and, you know, from there, uh, you know, I got to this point to where I was just like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go back. I know I got this degree. I'm going to go back and teach. So I went back and I started teaching at my old elementary school. Um, and I did that for like two years. Um, and you know, from there I was just, you know, the next few years, just trying to find, you know, find who I, I was, which took a, took a while, but, You know your 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 journey. You have to go through certain things to get to the point that you know you you want to get to. And I'm happy that I went went through that because it made me you know the person that I am today.
0: So thinking about being an elementary school teacher to where your career has evolved to, how did that transition happen out of education? Uh, You know, so I'm I'm teaching right,
1: and you know I'm a young teacher. I'm teaching. uh, I taught seventh grade uh social studies one year, one year I taught eighth grade science and you know the first two years, like you're very passionate, you know I'm 23 24 and things like that and you know uh the kids they're responding to me because they can relate to me some in in some sort of fashion like and I felt like this was the first time where you know the first instance to where like my generation was the that first generation that could relate to the kids, that actually like hip hop and things like that. Right. Because that's what we grew up in. Right. So, you know, I would use that as a way to, you know, like I would implement it into certain teachings and things like that, which they found like cool and stuff and just being able to relate, they would open up and then they would not want to disappoint me. Right. So, and I, and I loved it, but, you know, just like financially, I got these loans now, (laughs) you know, and it's just like, all right. I know I have to go back to school to get my master's and stuff like that. And the reality is I'm going to be paying these loans for this amount if I stay as a teacher and I do, you know, I do X, Y, and Z and I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. I'm like, I can always go back to teach. So then I'm just like, ah, you know, maybe I need to do something else. So, you know, I, then I transitioned into consulting. Mm. So I worked at, at Accenture um, uh, which is a consulting firm. And I did that, you know, it was low level, more of like an assistant to the primary consultants to the different, you know, companies and things like that. Um, and it was, it was okay. And then, um, you know, I got into real estate and then I started doing well. So then like for a year, I just, I left that and I was just like doing real estate for like a year or two. And then the, um, you know, like the, the financial situation happened with real estate. Um, But prior to that, you know, I realized that I wanted to, um, you know, marry my my wife, you know, well, who's my wife now, Stephanie. And I'm like, well, you know, I need some extra cash. So I was like, because at this point I'm working for myself. And then I go, um, you know what, I need some extra cash. Let me just get a part-time or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I could pay, help pay for the wedding and things like that. Right. And um, I had a, you know, I had a, a friend and she's like, oh, I think that you would probably be good in, you know, like pharma or whatever. And I'm like, oh, really? You know, I thought you had to be like a scientist. You know, I'm saying this. She's like, well, it's different aspects to, to it. You know, so many different aspects. So um, she introduced me to a recruiter and and I I spoke to a recruiter. And then um, I got a, a position as like a scientific office assistant. Right. Yeah. Basically like an administrative assistant. But. You know, I did a I did a lot of um, you know activities that was outside of the administrative point where I'm actually doing tasks related to you you know looking at like things such as protocols, which uh, the protocol is like the the journal or the diary for uh, a study design to run clinical trials and stuff like that. So I'm you know I'm I'm doing this. I'm like this is pretty you know this is pretty cool. I kind of you know I kind of like this. It was something new, and then that one point where I was like, this is, I I want in. I got cool with all the other, you know, admins. And you know, like, administrative assistants, they know everything. Yes. They know who makes what, who's getting this offer, and things like that. And, you know, one day I walk in and she goes, hey, I got to show you something. And I saw an offer letter for like a clinical clinical trial manager. And, you know, and I said, She's about to make what? <laughs> and then I, you know, she's telling me, oh, and she negotiated this and that and that. And I'm like, can I see her resume? And she's like, um, yeah. And I look because now I'm like, what do I need to have, you know, in order? So I looked. I'm like, wow, you know, OK, like, well, she has a biology degree. I don't have a biology degree, um, but OK. And, I, you know, I'm like, all right, cool. At least I know what I need to do. And I'm like, at this point, it's not my passion, but it's like I see where the money is, mm-hmm. right? you know, and then I know what clinical managers are doing. And I'm like, yes, yeah, stressful, at, you know, here and there. But for the most part, you coming in at eight, you know, at four, you leaving and things like that. And you making this amount of money. I want in. That's basically what I'm saying to myself. I, you know, I, I I want in. And from there, I, I started, you know, my my personal plan. I need to one day become a clinical, you know, clinical manager. Right. And that's how I transitioned into my current career. So I've been doing this now for 14 and a half years. Um, August of this year, make 15, 15 years.
0: And I think there's a couple of points to highlight here that are important. You know, oftentimes when you are seen as the great hope, like the one who's going to make it out, there's this inherent pressure, even if it's self-imposed, to figure out the plan and stay up, stay the course on that plan. And there's not a lot of space to, and like leeway to try this thing and then kind of say, all right, I'm gonna go over here because this is not working. Or, you can even hear it from other people, like, okay, yep. so what are you doing? Like, you know, you were you were teaching, you had Accenture, you real estate. Like, now you're doing this. Like, what is really happening? Did you yeah. feel any of that? That you like like okay i'm not on a specific path here i'm kind of jumping around particularly because you had the thought that you were ready to be a husband as well yeah um
1: i don't so from like my my family i don't think i don't remember feeling it from like my mom or dad because again, it's like you went to, co- like you, like we won, you like, we did our job. Like you went the to top, like you graduated from high school, you went to college, like, you know, they going around. My son went to Seton Hall, you, you know, so they're good. You know, now it's at the point to where as long as you don't go to jail, like right. we, we we did our job, but internally I felt it. And I, I will say, you know, a lot of my friends you know, are, you know, they're also excelling in their careers now. And even then, you know, they started to excel. So, you know, like when you want to be around like-minded individuals, you don't want to be the one that's out. So like, I will say, you know, some of, you know, my close friends, because they were excelling, it kind of forced me to always hold myself accountable. And I think that's why it's an important piece to have a good set of people around you because, you know, it it it, it, it does. It, it forces you to hold yourself accountable because you always want to still be able to relate, right? When you guys, when you're hanging out, you want to be able to add to the conversation and things like that. And, you know, if, if you're not keeping up on what's going on, you can find yourself being, you know, kind of le- left out. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we will always joke and say, like, I don't want to be the person that if we get a text message five years from now, like, yo, I know it's last minute. L- let's just go to Vegas. I can't go. <laughs> you, 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 you know, because then now that yo, you you know, you bro, you know how we do. like broke yes. You know, he broke his head, son, you know <laughs> things like that. Um, but, you know, you don't want to deal with that. But it's a it's a it's a good thing because. Like you are, you're, you're, you're kind of subconsciously so holding each other accountable, you, you know, their, their advancements in their career, you know, you're just like, wow, like, you know, my, my, my good buddy, you know, Jason, you know, he, he's now the, um, the, the business, uh, the business administrator for Orange Public Schools. But, you know, I've known him since I was, you know, eight, nine years old. He's always been, you know, like, I'm not going to depend on anybody. And he he grew up the same type of environment as well. But he's always been that person that like, it always just felt like he always had his stuff together. Mm -hmm. So always having him in my life, it it, it always ensured. And then my other buddy, um, we call him Ro, his name is Romaine. Um, He was, he's like three years older, but he was the friend that what all, like he instilled in me, he was the one that, will always take the chance, you know, like not be afraid. Like he just, you know, this is the opportunity. I'm going to do it. It, It's going to work out. Like he always had this Mm self-belief in himself, you know, and, and, and that was the quality that I saw at a a early age. And again, here's the luck, right? Having the luck to have a friend, like, you know, Jason and have a friend, like, like Roe, and things like that to be in your life, because had you did something else so I went to another school, who's to say I would have had those type of friends to kind of help to instill, you, you, you know, and, you know, so like them doing these things, I'm just like, wow. So yeah, you can like just believe in yourself. Wow. Things do like work out. Or even if it doesn't work out the way you are, like you'll still be okay. You you know? So, and then, you know, Jason always just like, these are the things that we need to, we need to do, or I know I need to do to get to where I I want to. And, you know, he was some, he was sort of like regimented, but Boom. You know, you know, like I have two master's degrees, but I would have never thought that I could get two master's degrees if it wasn't because Jason, he went and got two master's So we were like, bro, you got two master's degrees? You know, it's just like, but then you see when he gets these credentials, now all these different opportunities start, you, you know, start to happen for him. And, you know, it was well earned. So like I'm around this stuff and I'm just like, you know, I have to stay ahead. But also there's this sort of comfort, like you'll be OK. You you can do this. Here are the results. And if it doesn't work out, this is what happened. happen. And, you know, they're both very you know successful. And then, you know, I have other friends that are really successful. You know, my friend DeLon, he's, you know, uh, you know, in leadership in, in HR. And my other friend, um, William, you know, he's um, like a lead consultant for like Cognizant. And he was another person that just showed me about like just hard, hard work as well. So you have these core, you know, like in the individuals where, you know, like just career wise and things like that, they're doing certain things and you kind of want to ensure that you kind of stay at that point as well. So it's it's very important to have, you know, uh, a a circle around you of like-minded individuals to, you know you know, push you and, and also show you there's different ways to do it or things that you've questioned about yourself. And then this is someone that I trust that he just believed in himself or, you know, this is someone that I trust that, you know, he has, you know, you know, two master degrees. And then, you know, because he did that, you know, you know, I got two master degrees. My friend William, you know, he has two master degrees. My my friend DeLon, he's graduating from Villanova this year with his MS in, um, I think, like human um, resource development and things like that. So, you know, it's just it's that that network to have in, in that support system. Um, and then, you you know, now you have the person when you feel you're questioning yourself. You have someone that can relate and understand exactly how you feel. Where well, I didn't have that when I was 19. Right. Know, see? So
0: and I think what's important to highlight, too, is. We often come into these environments, be it academic or uh, professional, which is evident in your story, where we don't have a blueprint. And there's so much mystery around it. Like so mentioning getting the opportunity to see this offer letter and then saying, let me see the resume to see what the path is that this person took to get here. And the other person having the foresight to tell you, um, oh, and these are the things that she negotiated, because that's the other thing. Like we we just get an opportunity and we're like, cool. All right. yeah, okay, It's not exactly what I wanted, but it's better than what I had or what have you. Or it's the best offer I've ever seen. So I'm just going to take it and not realizing that there is flexibility built in. The offer (laughs) is made with the expectation that you are going to counter. Um, And also, too, what I appreciate about your story. Is having a community of Black men that are willing to hold each other accountable. Yes, but also say, like, this is what I'm doing. And, and I find often, and it's a cultural thing. We don't talk about money a lot. You know, we don't talk about salary, all of these things. But that, that openness and candor is necessary for all of us to elevate.
1: Yeah. And it
0: wasn't until I started having those conversations, personally, that I realized, oh, it's better so, it's socioeconomically for all of us. For to say this is what I'm making. This is the move that I did. Absolutely. This is what you should do. I think they're underpaying you, and this is how you should go about it. Or go back and get this degree, get this certification. Um, that that collective advancement for that to happen. These conversations need to be happening hey, and, and hey, coinciding hey, because hey, they're absolutely. happening on the other side <laughs> yes. of the fence. Yes. Trust absolutely, me. Yes. trust me. <laughs> no, I
1: I totally agree. And you know, my, like my friend Ro, he was the one that you know. Lo- lo- I'm making this amount, you know. So now you you can. Realize it and you visualize, wow, you're making this. So this is attainable. You, you mm-hmm. know, like he never was the type of person where you know he's doing this and it's just like, yeah, I'm I'm doing okay. No, it's like, look, this one this I'm I'm making, you know, and then now you're like, wow, I, I, I can make this. But again, you need that sort of luck to be able to, you know, have friends, you know, that are you know, kind of like-minded and things like that, and then you know, you also have other friends that it may be for career, but then, you know, just other types of like qualities that that they would bring that, you know, you just pick different qualities from, you know, you know, from 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 your friends and things like that, because I have other, you know, friends, you know, because they may see this. I'll give them a quick, you know, Eric and, you know, Eric Thomas, you know, Jackie. And then, you know, my my boy, you know, Tehran and like where, you know, just like the loyalty or just just certain life lessons and, you know, you know things like that where you pick from each friend, you know? And, and like Eric, he was the, Eric and Ro was like the older brother that I, I never had, right? You know, and Eric was very candid on, you know, like just teaching me about, you know, how to, you know, properly deal with women and, and, and things like that, which was important to me at 20, 20 years old. Cause I'm thinking one thing and he's like, no, but, and I look back and I'm like, wow, he was only like 23 at the time, but like, he was, you know, like, Hey, no, this is how you, you know, you're supposed to treat a woman. And this is how you talk to them always be truthful and things like that. And, you know, exactly the same thing. And, you know, I, my fraternity brothers, I had a community of even older, you know, individuals that I was able to finally, you know, one relate to, but they were older and they kind of already had years on me where they already experienced things to where I can learn from, you know, those, those lessons as well. And, you know, I I think that's one of the things, just when you look at a community of black men and stuff like that, that it, it doesn't get as much, um, exposure because it is out there, mm-hmm. but you know, like what media and society and social media and things like that, we tend to look at the negative, right. Uh, of like, but there's, it's just so much, even outside of my personal, you know, like my friends and stuff, I know guys that I'm cool with that. They also have, you know, a community of black men that are doing well and things like that. And we all have, you know, our issues and things like that. That's just life. But you know, it's it's a lot more out there that's like that, that than that's being perceived, in my opinion.
0: Right. So taking it back to the education piece and these two degrees that you yes. and multiple friends have gotten, two master's degrees, and now you are working on your Ph.D. Yes. How did you come to the decision to say, OK, I'm going back again and I'm going to lock this this doctorate down?
1: Okay. So there was a, a instance that happened, right? Because it's always an instance. So I, um, you know, I got to the point to where, you know, now I have my two master degrees, you know, I have my MBA and my MS and, um, you know, I'm doing well. It's easy for me to, you know, any, for the most part, any, any, any job that I really want, you know, if I apply for, it, you know, I'll at least for the most part, get the interview for the most part. Obviously, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, your credentials don't meet the requirements, but I would get the interview and, um, you know, I would do pretty well. And, you know, I was able to get the job that where I was like, oh, I really want this one. Right. And then it comes to a point to where, you know, I'm doing well in my career. And then this opportunity comes. I'm, I, I get uh, this recruiter reaches out to me. We have this perfect position it's for a VP of this com- company. And I'm like, oh, wow, you know, you will be the VP of clinical operations reporting to the chief operating officer. I'm like, and then I look at the requirements and I'm like, whoa, it says that you need 20 years of experience. At that point, I only had, you know, like 12, yeah, like 12, 11, 12 years. Um, and they're like, well, you have a lot of global experience. Um, you know what? Let's just have a call. So I had a preliminary call with a recruiter. And she's like, oh, yeah, we got to get you on. Um, so then I interview with the CEO. It was a smaller, you know, biotech. And I interview with the, the CEO and, and and here's the crazy thing, right? <laughs> so he had to go to Israel. They wanted to make a decision. So he's leaving for Israel. So let's I spoke to the recruiter on Thursday. He's leaving to Israel on Monday. So he's like, I need to speak to him ASAP. The only way it was going to work was for me to meet him at his con at his condo in Jersey City. Right. <laughs> Mind you, I live in central Jersey on a Sunday. Oh gosh! So I interview with this guy. He he uh, had there's like an auditorium in in a condo in Jersey City. Uh, so I'm interviewing, you know, with, with him. He has me on on a stage. There's like a podium and things like that. And you know, not that he's like you you need to, but it was just how it was just set up, right? So you know, I'm driving up there and I'm like, wow, you know, for for them to want me to interview right now. And it's like, it's looking good. Right. You know? So I interview, um, you know, he's like, I'm very impressed. Literally the next day she's like, we need you to interview with the chief operating officer ASAP. Right. He's like this, this, this kid, he, he has what it takes. So I interview with her. Um, and it doesn't go, I felt like it didn't go as well as with the CEO, but Mm -hmm. she was the one that was actually making a decision. Right. And I could tell it went OK, but it, it like I knew I blew his mind. Right. So then. Um, so this is Tuesday. Uh, yeah, this is Tuesday. So I interview with her Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, their HR calls me and we're negotiating. So I'm like, oh, it's it's a sure shot. Right. So we're negotiating and they're saying these numbers. And I'm in my mind. I'm like, I can't. But believe, like, I can't even imagine like this. That's where you start ever,
0: calculating how you're going to allocate the money. You already, give you- I'm
1: already spending it now. Like, like, and that, and that was my fault. Cause I'm already, I'm already spending it. Right. You know, like in three years, house paid off. I'm doing,
0: you know, like it's already spent. Right. <laughs> and <laughs> cause that's what we do. Right? That's what we do. We get out the calculator with. We start yes. calculating <laughs> tax deductions and everything before the offers on the table.
1: It, exactly. And then, um, so, you know, I'm doing that and they're like, because, you know, the timelines are accelerated, like if they pick you or not, like we, you, we just need to know. Right. So then I, I hear from the recruiter and then she's like, you know, just to let you know, it's down to you and this other person. Right. So then I don't hear from them from a week. So I'm like, damn, you, you know, cause they like, oh, this is accelerated. i don't hear from a week. And then the following week I follow up. And, um, you know, she was like, Oh, I was just about to reach out to you. They didn't go with you. They, they, they they really loved you. It was really, really tough. And they had to like, it was to the point to where they just had to find something wrong with someone. And it was like, this person had a PhD and you did it. Mm. So now I'm like, it's three weeks. I'm just like, asking you know like my my you know Stephanie she's just like it's okay you know everything happens for a reason and things like that and I had always wanted to go back for for my PhD and then I just I just couldn't find what I wanted what I wanted to do and I was like I'm just not gonna go back just to just just to have it. I want to have something that I'm passionate about. And for a couple of years, excuse me, I was just like ah well maybe this. And then I just wasn't feeling it. So after that happened I was like, you know what? I'm never gonna give them the opportunity to say it's because I don't have my doctorate. Now I got to get my doctorate because now it, it it's it, it's not credentials. Now you, you know, like the credentials are, are are out of the you know out of the equation when you're saying, well, you don't have this. And I just I really just I'm just like, you know what? I, I need to figure out what I want to get my doctorate in.